Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 142, we've got the co-founder and CEO of Async, Pierre-Marie Padieu, and he's on to tell us about his company and also his new wallet, Phoenix, which I think is quite possibly one of the easiest non-custodial Lightning Wallet experiences out there today. So this podcast is brought to you by Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. They're one of the longest standing, they're consistently rated the best, they've got a high quality platform, they offer some great liquidity, they've got high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. They've also got Kraken Pro mobile app, delivering all the security and features you love about Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile first design for Bitcoin trading on the go. There's Kraken OTC Desk for those seeking a more private personalized service for large block trades. There's Kraken Margin up to five times and Futures up to 50 times leverage. There's also CryptoWatch platform, which is a popular charting and trading terminal for cryptocurrency markets. And their mission is to provide one powerful interface to scan prices, analyze market movements, and make trades. So go and find out more at kraken.com. This episode also presented to you by Unchained Capital, a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with financial freedom and control. All their products and services are built on the foundation of multi-sig. So Unchained offer a multi-sig 2 of 3 vault, which is a great option if you're thinking through how best to secure your Bitcoin. So you hold two keys and Unchained would hold the third key in that scenario. And then if you need to access liquidity without selling your Bitcoin, that's where you can use Unchained's collateralized loans. So you can put up some Bitcoin, you pay interest, all that Bitcoin is stored on chain in dedicated multi-sig addresses and it's never rehypothecated. They've also got some updates with notifications for pending transactions, key checks and loan actions. They've also got a default external spend workflow with Caravan where you can copy paste the redeem script so you've got verifiable information about your Bitcoin. They've got incredible content on their website as well so make sure you go and look them up. The website is unchained-capital.com. Check out givebitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. GiveBitcoin is now actually part of the parent brand Swan and there's another product coming called Save Bitcoin. So GiveBitcoin is an awesome product because it helps advance people up that learning curve and turning them into a hodler. Sometimes when you just give it to them straight, they'll just lose that Bitcoin. So that's why there's value in GiveBitcoin because you can buy it for your friends and family with just their email address. And that gift is time delayed with a regulated US custodian for one year. GiveBitcoin delivers 12 monthly lessons to that recipient. And there is input from many well-known Bitcoiners, such as Safetyne, Matt O'Dell, Citizen Bitcoin, and Jan Pritzker is recently now the CTO. I'm an advisor with a small equity stake as well. So keep an eye out for more exciting announcements coming from Give Bitcoin and Swan. The aim is to have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Have you backed up your Bitcoin seed? Look into CypherSafe, CypherSafe.io. CypherSafe are producing the CypherWheel product. So if you've invested in a Bitcoin hardware wallet and you've got a BIP39 12-word or 24-word seed, make sure it's backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rust-proof, pet-proof, and tamper-evident. Cypher Wheel comes in a wheel shape and it masks the words of your seed unless you unlock the padlock tamper-evident seal so you know it's been opened. 
Cypher Safe are also switching the stainless steel alloy used to improve the corrosion resistance, and otherwise the product scored an A versus heat and crushing on Jameson Lop's recent round of physical seed testing. So make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. It's in pre-order now, and orders will be going out in early February, so go and order yours at cyphersafe.io. So on to the interview. Pierre, welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. Nice to see you again after uh, uh, Berlin, I think, last time we met. That's right. I ran into you at the Lightning Conference and uh, we were talking about your new app, Phoenix, which you had just put out at that point as well. And I was very impressed by it. And we're going to get into all of that. So, uh, okay. look, let's just start with a bit of your story. I know you've been around Bitcoin for a little while and, you know, you're leading async. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how, uh, how the company got started? Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, um, a software engineer, uh, so I'm a technical person, but I always wanted to uh, create a company um, because <laughs> basically I, I like freedom and I don't like to have bosses. So um, when I first heard about Bitcoin, I think it was maybe in 2012 or 2013, something like that, uh, I, I I was convinced that this created an environment where a lot of opportunity would arise. And at the same time, it was extremely interesting to me. So I didn't hesitate long before starting a, a company. And uh, so Async was founded in uh, 2014. And uh, we started um, working on Lightning in 2015. I think we were the second implementations implementation to uh, uh, to um, to be developed uh, shortly after uh, Sea Lightning and shortly before LND, and uh, we have been uh, developing uh, Eclair and doing variants of Eclair with Phoenix with Eclair Mobile uh, since then, and we're not going to stop. Obviously, it's a, it's a long run. Um, it, it's it's quite fascinating and very interesting because uh, the fact that you can start from scratch with a blank page and the target being to have a global uh, payment network. I mean, that's it can, it's a one-time opportunity. So if you like building distributed systems, if you like uh, technology, and if you like uh, also uh, working in an environment that's very uh, complex and uh, with a lot of uh, impact on, uh, on uh, non-technical things like finance, uh, politics, all that, that's, that's very interesting. So. Uh, so I'm very happy to have the, the chance and, uh, of, uh, of, of um, building async and uh, working uh, on the Lightning Network. Right. And tell us a little bit about what your experience was like when you first read the Lightning Network white paper and what was it that spurred you on to go and build a Lightning company? Well, initially... Um, Actually, initially, so I, I told you that uh, Async was founded in uh, 2014. Initially, we are building a hardware wallet. And that's uh, not a well-known fact, but we uh, we started building a hardware wallet around at the same time than uh, Ledger. And uh, if uh, you know okay. a bit about smart cards, you know that uh, French have a history with smart cards. And uh, so independently, uh, Ledger and us, uh, just came up with the the conclusion that smart cards were the appropriate tech to store your bitcoins on. Uh, and uh, the best the best part is that we are actually working in the same building as as Ledger. They 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 had uh, they were running uh, a co-working space that we were uh, uh, 
um, that we were working into. And uh, so we were developing the two things most at the same time without uh, knowing that. I mean, we weren't talking to each other much. And, um, but pretty quickly, uh, we realized that we were more or less working on the same uh, topic. And so we had to move. And later on, uh, we didn't have uh, a we, we didn't have a background in the hardware. We didn't have the connections required. The, the thing is that when you when you work with uh, hardware and smart cards, you have to have some connections with uh, uh, manufacturers because they usually work with large companies, banks, uh, governments, things like that. They make orders of the size of 100k, uh, more than that. So if you're a Bitcoin startup in 2014, there is no way you can uh, you can uh, ask for a few thousand uh, chips. Uh, they are not going to say yes. Um, Ledger was able, was able to pull that out because uh, they had the uh, the relevant experience and the Ledger contact and the relevant contacts. That wasn't our case. And um, the thing is. Uh, when Lightning uh, arrived, I mean, the, when the paper was released, um, this was much closer to uh, our um, specialty. Uh, when, when I say we, it's mainly uh, my co-founder, Fawis, and myself. Uh, so this, it just made sense. Uh, we knew that it would be uh, very difficult to to um, to develop. But it was just a paper at that time, and not a very precise paper. The paper was just the idea, some some smart contracts, but a lot of things were left to the uh, implementer. And uh, at that time, in early 2015, uh, Rusty Russell, uh, who works at Blockstream, he did a fantastic job of, uh, I think he's, he published a series of blog posts and uh, I think it was uh, um, getting to the ground with lightning, something like that, where he um, he started working on how can we really implement this thing? Uh, how can we past? Can we get past the uh, the uh, theoretical white paper and uh, build this thing? And uh, this is how the uh, um, the specification project started. I mean, it was not a, a, a collective effort until 2016, scaling Bitcoin Milan, where the different teams who were collaborating on the mailing list mostly, but in a very like uh, unorganized manner until then. Um, in, in scaling between Milan, then we we went together and, uh, and, and decided to uh, to try to formalize the, uh, the lightning uh, specs. That's how the RFC uh, effort started. And that will allow now any anyone, any other companies, like uh, for example, take the, the Nauta people, uh, the Japanese company, they were able to implement a lightning implementation, a full lightning uh, implementation uh, without any any help whatsoever, just by reading the specification uh, that were uh, um, published uh, on, uh, on GitHub, which means that uh, the, this, uh, the effort was successful because that's the goal was to make um, the process of uh, working on lightning as permissionless as possible. That's, I think the Nayuta story proves that uh, it, that's, that's one goal that we achieved. <laughs>
Yeah, that's awesome to hear the story of how it came together. I'd also love to hear a little bit about that journey. As as I understand, Async had two rounds of funding, one in late, I think it was October 2018 for I think it was $1.7 million, and then another round more recently for $8 million. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and what was that like for you? Well, it's my first startup, um, so I wasn't at all uh, I have no, I have no prior knowledge of dealing with uh, funds and all of that. So the first uh, fundraise that we did actually occurred in May, I think, 2018. We announced it uh, a bit later, um, and it was at the time. So it was uh, after 2017 and the big rush and the big. Uh, uh, if everybody knows about that, uh, the. the the big bubble on uh, on the on Bitcoin and uh, and uh, altcoins, and so this obviously this obviously sparked interest uh, by uh, investors, um, and uh, at the same time, as a consequence of uh, the uh, the inflow of users, the scalability uh, limitations of uh, Bitcoin were made more visible. Uh, that's where the some people uh, paid a lot of uh, fees uh, to make uh, on-chain transactions when they wanted to I don't know, trade very quickly on some exchange. Um, they probably paid too much, but I mean the idea was that it would cost a lot of money to uh, if uh, too many people were using the same blockchain space at the same time, which made uh, which made our uh, lightning project uh, very understandable for investors. So that's that's how we. Uh, uh, we were able to raise money, but by the way, we we are lucky to never have to like go, actually go uh, uh, do a roadshow and uh, look for for money. That's it has always been people uh, wanted to. Uh, I mean, interested in our project and contacting us to to. So we we are we were able to to choose who, who we want to work with, which is very important because I, as I as I told you at the beginning, what I like is freedom. And uh, when you start to have investors, you obviously you, you lose a little freedom. So the fact that you can uh, that you can uh, choose who you want to work with, uh, it's uh, it's a very big. Uh, it makes a lot of difference from my perspective. And um, so that's the first round, and the second round uh, happened in 2018, in July 2018. It's uh, this. This one is a, is interesting because I think it shows that um, it, it's very different. The, situ- the situation is very different between 2018 and 2019 with regard to Lightning. Uh, Lightning mainnet has been deployed in uh, very early 2018. So in 2019, we already have some some uh, I mean things to uh, to to look at and. Uh, um, there is, it's not something in the future that's going to that's going to be released in the future. It's something that exists today, even if it's very early. So, um, uh, what what this uh, fundraising means is that um, it made sense. And after a year of bear market, uh, a year and a half even, uh, again, it's the, Investors, smart investors, um, can recognize the value of Bitcoin and not get lost with all the uh, uh, other uh, blockchains that claim to solve everything by uh, just tweaking some parameters. 
and uh, it's very uh, it, it's very I think it's very telling uh, for the um, uh, for, for the um, about the knowledge that uh, external investors have about the space we're working on, that they are able to make that kind of investments at, at that time. Uh, what's funny too is that uh, as part of this uh, fund, uh, as, as, as part of this uh, raise, uh, the uh, French BPI, which is not a bank actually, but despite its name, it is BPI stands for uh, Public Investment Bank. It's not a bank; it's just uh, it's a public organism that supports innovation. Uh, so they they are their job is to fund innovative startups, but obviously since they are uh, state funded, they are not going to take some uh, choices that are not politically correct. You see what I mean? So, and and they they have not uh, invested in Bitcoin. They uh, they hadn't invested in Bitcoin before. They hadn't uh, invested in uh, Ledger, for example. The fact that uh, they decided to join uh, the round. It's a it's a it's a minor uh, share, but still, uh, it's it's uh, it tells a lot about the perception of Bitcoin from uh, again not from the external uh, from external uh, uh, people, not from investors, but from maybe from more from a more public uh, 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 standpoint. Um, in two thousand eighteen. Right at the time when we made the first uh, fundraise, our bank account got, got closed by our bank just because we were in Bitcoin. <laughs> we don't do any trading whatsoever. Oh, we, no. I mean, but just just because Bitcoin, our bank account got closed, and a year later, uh, this um, this um, uh, BPI uh, institution uh, joined our uh, our uh, capital. So. I think it's a really, it's a really uh, interesting uh, uh, evolution. So that's pretty much uh, it regarding the the, the uh, investments that we have. Obviously, the good news is that now we have enough uh, funding to uh, be able to continue the development of Latin network, which again is uh, it's gonna take time. It's a very slow process. Not because uh, there's not enough people working on it. I mean, you could obviously, uh, we welcome uh, obviously a, a lot more people to join, but even if there were, <laughs> I, I don't know, 100,000 developers like Ethereum, like Ethereum, uh, it wouldn't, it, it would still not uh, like arrive like, like that because it's a whole infrastructure to, to, uh, to uh, develop. It's a protocol. It's tools uh, for companies, for exchanges, for I mean any company that works in this in the Bitcoin environment. It's tools also for users, uh, wallets, um, and if you look at what we do, what I think, what, what products we have uh, released uh, so far, it's exactly that. We have worked on the protocol and we have we have built tools in order to uh, for for any uh, all the Potential actors uh, to have the, the what it what is needed to join and to use uh, the, the network. Yeah, that's really interesting. The stuff you were mentioning there about how BPI France it's it's basically like the French government is investing in a Bitcoin Lightning uh, company in some well, ways. I mean, yes, uh, 
I think it, this may have been a, a bit overblown by uh, the, the 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 media, the Bitcoin media, because it made uh, like it's nice to see that uh, to say a French government is investing Bitcoin. It's actually, I mean, they support innovation. Yes, they do have ties. I mean, they are owned by the state, but they make their own decisions. Uh, but I think the, the one thing to remember is that two years ago, uh, it wouldn't have people, this investment wouldn't have been possible. That's that's true for political reasons. Now it's possible. I don't think uh, it's interesting to look deeper than that. It's just that, yeah. So it's not like French is buying into Bitcoin. France is buying into, into Bitcoin. It's just that uh, Bitcoin sounds interesting and uh, Bitcoin is more and more well understood. And, uh, because the first natural reaction for a lot of uh, government types is just to be scared and to just reject it right away. Yeah, certainly. And it's positive from that perspective. Uh, so how big is the team at Async? There are six of us. Uh, so it's a very uh, small team. Not that small compared to other Lightning teams. Uh, it's, uh, it's a small uh, um, development community, really. Uh, but obviously, with the, uh, the recent funding, we're we looking to, uh, to uh, hire more people. Awesome. Uh, and I mean, you've got a range of products, right? So you've got uh, Strike and Eclair, and I think Phoenix will be really interesting to talk about. I think Phoenix is a really, I've had a chance to try it out. I've, I, I was really impressed, to be honest. I thought it was, it was just, wow, how quick it is to set up and spend and all of that. It's so, al- it feels almost like if it's custodial, right? <laughs> sorry? It feels almost like if it's custodial. Yeah, it really That's, does. It I'm does. Like, so can you just give us an overview for the listeners who aren't familiar? What is Phoenix Wallet and what was the aim of Phoenix Wallet? Okay, the aim is very simple. So as I told before, as I said before, uh, Async existed in 2014 when Lightning Network the, the world wasn't even invented yet. At that time, uh, when uh, we wanted to, to demonstrate what Bitcoin does, we did one thing. We told whoever uh, uh, was sitting in front of us, okay, can you download uh, this uh, Bitcoin wallet, whatever Bitcoin wallet you want? I'm going to send you uh, $5, 5 euros. Oh, okay, you get you get 5 euros and you can send it back to me or send it back to your, your friend. And that's what, that's where uh, the magic uh, happened and people uh, understood that, okay, the money is on my phone now. It's not my bank account. It, it's, it's there. If, you lose, if I lose it, uh, I'm gonna, there's no, no, no one to save me. It's, I'm responsible for it. I mean, the, the whole, uh, the, the, the whole um, thing about uh, uh, no trusted third party, uh, financial independence is very easy to explain from that uh, from that uh, starting point than just theoretically. And uh, as a, a Bitcoin was more and more uh, used by more and more people, this kind of uh, demo was uh, harder to make because it would, uh, it would cost more and, uh, uh, and it, it wasn't just, I mean, as, as the network evolved, this particular use case of just sending a small amount of money uh, a, a, small, a small amount of bitcoins to uh, to other people was just not working with a non-chain wallet anymore. And what we wanted to do with Phoenix is exactly that. We wanted to be able to do exactly that same uh, uh, use case, very simple use case. You start from nothing, I send you bitcoins, you send me back these bitcoins. That's it. We, we wanted to uh, to be able to do that. Um, 
And we didn't start from scratch because we had uh, Eclat Mobile, which which was released in 2017. Eclat Mobile was our first shot at, at trying to have a decent UX with Lightning. Uh, remember that not so long ago, uh, a lot of people didn't believe that it was possible to have a decent UX with Lightning, that it would be reserved to uh, engineers or experts of uh, um, of Bitcoin, people knowing what a channel is and how to manage it and, and, and so on. So we had that experience with Eta Mobile, but our aim was to have a very uh, easily usable uh, wallet. And uh, so the goal of, there is a lot of work and a lot of engineering happening under the hood with Phoenix. But the goal for the end user, it's, it's very simple. It's just you download the wallet, you show a QR code, it's a bit the QR code is a bit bigger than what the QR code looked like uh, a few years ago, but it's still the uh, same kind of the same thing. And uh, some people scan this code, send you uh, send you five dollars, and you have it. There, there you have it. And then you can send it back immediately too. There is no channels, no inbound liquidity issues, no, nothing. Everything is taken care of. And um, it's uh, what I uh, really. So it has been a lot of work in 2019, and what I really appreciate is that. It seems so easy that some people don't believe how it works. Some people really think that okay, but you, you do have some. Uh, it's hosted, right? Or, or uh, uh, it has to be custodial, or uh, there has to be. Uh... No, it's just uh, that we made some trade-offs. It's true that I think maybe we're gonna go over them, but uh, at the at the core, it's very similar. I mean, ninety. 5%, 99% of Phoenix of the code is exactly the same as Eclat Mobile. It's, you run a lightning node on your, on your device, you have the private keys, um, you're watching the blockchain. Uh, we are using Electrum servers for that. You can point it to your own Electrum server, which, which is a recommended way to do, but uh, you're still responsible for your, uh, for, for your funds. And, uh, yeah, we are, we are really uh, proud of what we have achieved with Phoenix, and we, we hope we have other plans and uh, to improve it even more. So let, let's just talk through a little bit of the setup and the typical experience that it is for a new person when they set up a Bitcoin wallet. Because many Bitcoin wallets, they'll force that user to go through the write down the 12 words or write down the 24 words, right? So I noticed yes. when I open Phoenix, it's different already because it's not forcing that straight away it's it's just got yes. a warning there saying hey you need to back up your 12 words but you can actually just open the app download it install it right and you can just get started straight away without having to you know click around and do all that exactly and if you keep in mind the use case that i uh, described you before obviously the the newbie that just wants to uh, discover bitcoin you don't want him to take five minutes to write down his seat it's just it's not he's not gonna do it it's just a blocker so what we did instead, and that's, we had a, a user uh, telling us that too, you should not block uh, uh, the uh, onboarding process by uh, with this. We know that we have to back up. So just put a warning and uh, people will, uh, a persistent warning and people are going to do it uh, uh, quickly after they have funds on it. And it's even better that they do it seriously, properly, when they take time to do it and they don't like screenshot it on their phone because we, they just want to get rid of the of the uh, pesky window. So um, yeah, first, uh, so when you download uh, Phoenix and you run it for the first time, it will, it will immediately arrive on the main screen 
displaying zero bitcoins. And now you're gonna hit on the receive button. And when you hit the receive button, it displays a QR code. Uh, uh, it's a lightning payment request. So at that point, you don't have any channels. Uh, you don't have readily available inbound liquidity. What we could have done was that for each new uh, wallet that starts somewhere, our node, uh, the async node, could create upfront a channel to this uh, mobile. And that works too. The problem is that first, we don't know for sure if the user is really about to receive Bitcoins or if it's just installing the app and not doing anything with that. And if we have a million users doing that, then we are gonna, it's gonna cost us a lot of money. And uh, I mean, it, it's a potential attack vector, right? So the idea we had with Phoenix is to reverse that, which is find a way to, for the user, for the, for the, for the user to, to generate a lightning invoice, even if it doesn't have Lightning channel uh, or any channels yet, and only when we see an incoming payment, and we can tell, okay, we have an incoming payment for you. You don't have any channels, but if you want, we can. Uh, now that we know that there is incoming payments for you, uh, incoming, uh, uh, yeah, uh, an incoming payment for you, then we can open a channel and take a fee, take it out of the incoming payments, which solves the issue that I uh, described before, because then we are not going to uh, to, uh, to to spend money upfront. Uh, we're gonna uh, users are gonna pay for this inbound liquidity when they need it, and that can scale. If we have a million uh, people doing that, uh, that can scale uh, because we we are go- we're not going to pay upfront uh, for all those users. Okay, yeah, that's great. And could you maybe go a little bit deeper into what's happening under the behind the scenes there? So as I understand that QR code, really, it's actually got like a lightning invoice and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is it's got like a routing hint yes. to a private channel that doesn't exist yet. Yes. And then as soon as, you know, the, let's say you're setting up the newbie, as soon as you make that payment, then, then all of a sudden it kind of, it knows, okay, now there's an incoming payment then it asks you, do you want to set up the, uh, the channel? Can you explain a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, so on the Lightning Network, there are two types of channels. You have public channels who are publicly announced on the network, and you have private channels. Private channels, the idea is that you don't necessarily have to publish all the channels you have, typically for a mobile phone. Like if you take Eclair Mobile, uh, Eclair Mobile only opens private channels, when you create an invoice, you have to tell somehow the, the pay the the person who is going to, to, to pay this invoice, you have you have to to have a way to tell him how to find this private channel. So maybe the route is going to go through public channels and the last hop is going to use the your private channels. And so you have to, to tell about those channels. And that's done with routing hints. So when you create an invoice on Lightning, you have the possibility, it's optional, to say, okay, you can use whatever route you want, but if you need it, those channels that are not necessarily public, they do exist, and you can you can go through this, uh, this uh, route. So we use it, and a lot of uh, mobile uh, Lightning wallets use that uh, 
that's also why if if we didn't have those private channels, we would have a lot of problems already with the Lightning Network uh, routing table because there would be a lot more channels. And uh, uh, syncing the, the routing table is already um, uh, it's not an easy task for mobile devices because there are um, constraints in terms of uh, performance and resources. So building on that, uh, what Finis does is it adds a routing hint, hint to its invoice. But uh, contrary to Eclair Mobile, this routing hint doesn't point to an actual channel. It points to a fake private channels, channel. And the that goes from our node to your uh, Phoenix uh, wallet. And what happens is that this, the, the, the PE the, uh, will uh, find a route, and the only route which can go to this uh, to, to Phoenix, we have to use this uh, this private this uh, routing hint. So it will go to our node, and then we can say, okay, I see that the next channel in the route is this random identifier, and I know that this random identifier isn't really an, an actual channel. It's actually just a pointer to this particular. Uh, Phoenix, uh, and that's how we do the routing. So we kind of um, hacked a bit the way uh, the the routing uh, occurs at the last hop, but it's exactly the same from the from the point of view of the uh, of the, uh, the the rest of the network, from the point of view of the sender, from the point of view of the receiver too. It's strictly uh, compliant lightning. The only thing is that when we do the last hop. It's not really a channel that we are. It's, it's not really a channel identifier. It's some other kind of identifier that we can uh, reserve to uh, to um, a node. And yep. at that point, maybe there is no actual channel uh, to uh, to the Phoenix uh, user. And that's where that's when we can we can ask the user if he needs us uh, to, uh, to create a channel at that time. And that's that's how we solve the onboarding process. Uh, basically, you start with zero, someone scans the QR code, and then you're going to see a pop-up that says, okay, we have an inbound payment for you. Uh, we offer to create, a, a, to, to, to do a setup. We don't even talk about channels. To do a setup, it's going to cost you that much. Do you accept or not? Got it. And uh, actually, I'm curious, what happens if you press no there? Well, if you press no, so again, this payment is a real lightning payment. So there is a pre-image, right? Uh, even if the the last hop in the route, uh, which is our node, he knows that there is an incoming payment, what we already what we have is an incoming HTLC, you know, a hashed time lock contract. Just a contract. We know that if, if we have the pre-image to this hash, then we, we, we're gonna be able to pull the money. But we need this pre-image. So then we ask uh, Phoenix, do you want us to create a channel? If you want to, then you have to give me the pre-image. If he says no, I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to give you the pre-image. I don't want this uh, new channel to be created. Then we know that it's gonna. It's not gonna give us the pre-image, so we, we can fail. There. So it's really. Uh, we have tweaked some parts of Lightning, but it's very, very uh, marginal. It's, it's 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 very small modifications. The whole, the the whole process. That guarantees that it's uh, trustless. That guarantees that I can pull money. Uh, I can't. I can't uh, take money from a sender if I uh, if I haven't forwarded the, uh, the 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 payment correctly. 
uh, it still exists. Uh, and if it didn't, then uh, that wouldn't, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be interesting at all. It, we would have lost uh, everything that makes Lightning interesting. Right, right. Yeah. So in other words, basically that payment through to the new, you know, the newbie Phoenix user, it would just fail. And, you know, they would just do something, they would try another, they would try again with the new one, right? And uh, I guess it's also uh, really just interesting as well, because it just means that if you are trying to help a new person set up, then maybe you might want to have either a direct channel with the async node, or at least a route to the async node so that your payment can more easily go to that newbie, right? To that person who's just set up their Phoenix wallet, right? Yes. I mean, the good thing with uh, our node is, really, is reasonably well connected. So even if you don't have a direct channel to us, there is a good chance that you, your, your payment uh, succeed. Um, yeah. Which is uh, something that's, um, I, you, you have probably um, heard the uh, presentation made by uh, Christian, Christian Decker uh, in uh, Berlin about the success rate of payments. That's something that, uh, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of off topic. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> off topic uh, uh, now, but this the the reliability of payments and the uh, the the overall success rate of making payments on Lightning is is a very very important thing. Even if we we uh, we just discussed about end user and uh, a pretty UX, a pretty UIs uh, at the core, uh, this is all useless, completely useless, if the network, uh, the, the core of the network isn't uh, reliable enough. So yeah, that's yeah. the side. Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, and we might we might get to the more broader points around Lightning later. Uh, but let's just keep it to Phoenix for now. One point that I noticed is right now that amount, that uh, sorry, that invoice rather is amountless. And some wallets treat that, and maybe rightfully so, that that's a security risk because, uh, for example, I tried to fund my Phoenix wallet with a Zap payment. And I think Zap wallet actually doesn't regard that as a valid invoice. So what I actually had to do was put in a manual amount. And uh, as I understand, the reason for that is that if you do an amountless invoice without using the payment secret uh, flag or whatever it is, then I think one of the intermediate hops or maybe the next the second last hop can steal the fee or steal that as a fee. Is that uh, essentially the um, correct understanding there? Yes, that's true. The second to last hop, that's, I, 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 um, I used the last hop as um, in my previous explanation, but it's actually, yes, the second to last hop uh, in the route. He, he, he can change the amount, basically. So he can reduce the amount it, and take the difference for him. So what the payment secret does is that, is that it can't change anymore the, the, the amount. And uh, yes, invoiceless, uh, uh, about, sorry. Uh, amountless invoices. Amountless yeah. invoices, yes, there are a security risk. Um, and uh, we do display a warning also on Phoenix when you pay an invoiceless, uh, an amountless invoice, because that's a risk. We decided not to prevent it altogether because um, we wanted to, to the user to have the choice. And uh, also, since we knew that uh, a payment secret wa was uh, uh, right around the corner, it would be, it would have created confusion because we would have prevented it, then allowed it again. And the, the risk didn't seem uh, that, that uh, big. So we just added a warning very uh, explicit and uh, the user can choose what he wants. But yes, that's a, that's a, 
Yeah. So anyway, for listeners, I guess if you're trying to help someone set up on Phoenix, you, what you might want to do is just make sure you put in a manual amount. So then that way, for now, if you've got Zap Wallet or some other wallet, you can still pay that and then fund your, you know, the person you're trying to onboard into Lightning. Um, so that's that, so that's really cool. Um, now, yeah, um, there's a if you if you if you already have Phoenix and you onboard someone on Phoenix, then you can use uh, an amountless invoice because our implementation of Trampoline already has the payment secret thing. So uh, if you do a Phoenix to Phoenix payment, that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point to note. And we'll get to trampoline routing as well. I think um, uh, one other point I wanted to touch on as well is that you have two options to fund. You can fund that wallet with Lightning payment or just with a Bitcoin payment. And as I understand, it's not actually a submarine swap, like the trustless style, but it's more just like a trusted swap in. Could you outline a little bit of that process if somebody wants to fund it with a Bitcoin payment? Yeah. On chain, so, that is. Um, the idea is just you can send to your... So Phoenix is pure Lightning. All the funds you have in Phoenix are on Lightning. But we want it to be to, to make it very easy to send funds to your Lightning wallet from a legacy Bitcoin wallet. So it's a swap. Uh, we went with a trusted swap, which means that when you use the swap feature, either from Lightning to Unchain or from Unchain to Lightning, then uh, you trust uh, you trust us to uh, to uh, in this operation. Basically, you pay us the amount, and then we make the uh, the swap. That's trusted. The reason we we went with that scheme is that uh, trustless swap. Well, for for uh, for starters, they don't exist. Um, it's not entirely trustless. Uh, you have you still have in one case to pay the fee upfront. So you're still trusting. You're trusting for not for the amount of the swap. You're trusting only for the for the, uh, the fee that uh, the swap uh, service are going to is going to charge you. So it's definitely better from that standpoint. But it's not perfect. So that's one of the reasons. And the other reasons is that the uh, the the construct is uh, more complicated. Uh, it's going to have more transactions, and so it's going to cost more. And the third reason is that in one uh, direction, I don't remember on uh, the top of my head, I don't know if it's a swap in or swap out, but in one, uh, in, in one of the cases, then the sending wallet needs to understand what it is doing, meaning that it needs to speak the swap protocol. Uh, and uh, so you wouldn't be able to just send funds to your Phoenix wallet from any legacy uh, Bitcoin uh, wallet, which is kind of a big problem because then everything is broken, basically. From, our, from the good UX point of view, everything is broken because then you have to understand a lot of things and then, uh, then it's not good. So we decided to go um, with a very simple uh, alternative, which is again trusted. Uh, and I believe that it's a choice that makes sense for 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 the Phoenix use case. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, uh, and so yeah, so we've covered that. I think another thing, maybe we just point out the fees as well. So there's that's an aspect as well, just so all the listeners are aware exactly what are the fees. So I've just read from the website and uh, pulled that together. So as I see it, the fee for sending is ten sats plus zero point one percent of the amount sent. Uh, so I, as I understand, then if you're paying a hundred dollars, 
that means you're paying uh, what is it ten uh, ten cents on a hundred dollars, right? If you're sending yes. a lightning payment, and then if you're doing, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. So regarding the the fees, so there is the difference between the uh, the swap fees and the uh, on the flight creation fees and the payment fees. The reason is that so. When you send, when you when you pay a lightning invoice for from Phoenix, uh, you're using trampoline, which means that you are delegating the route computation to a third-party uh, node, which currently is our node. In the future, our the goal is to have a multitude of trampoline nodes, and you would build a, a, a route node from hop to hop, but from trampoline node to trampoline node, and each trampoline node will have to figure out the route the route to the next trampoline node. And the consequence of that is that from the point of view of Phoenix, when you when you pay the invoice, you don't know what the route will be. So you don't know what the fee is going to be. So it makes it very uh, easy uh, to uh, to uh, make payments because you don't have to bother about the, the route. I mean, I'm, I'm talking uh, from a computationally, uh, computational perspective. But you have to be pessimistic because you... You make the the HTLC. You send the payment to the trampoline node, and then you hope that whatever fee you have added to your uh, to your payment will be enough to cover the the route to the destination. And so, with trampoline, the fee has to be pessimistic. That's the first thing. And second is that currently in the, in the, our uh, implementation in the in the Phoenix as is today, we don't have any retry mechanism. It's very very basic. So we have to be extremely pessimistic because there is no retry mechanism if the fee we choose is not enough. So what I mean is that in an upcoming version, it's not far in the future. We are we are testing it currently, so it's going to be the ETA in a few weeks. The goal is for Phoenix to have a rough estimate of how much it's going to cost, how much the actual route is going to cost, and then try. To send a payment with that much fee, and maybe the trampoline node is going to uh, to answer. No, it's not enough. Sorry. Uh, best I can do is that, and then and then uh, you can try again. Which means that those payment uh, fees are going to be reduced significantly. That's what I wanted to uh, to say on the on the. So it's it's different from the other fees which are for the swap uh, and for the channel creation. Those fees. They are used, so they are basically 0.5% for, for the when you uh, when you receive an incoming payment, uh, which covers the cost for us to to open a channel. So which, which means opening a, a, a Bitcoin transaction, creating a Bitcoin transaction on the on the blockchain, and the swapping is the same because swapping it implies a creating a new channel in the way we have implemented it. So it's the same thing. And uh, so that's 0.5%. Yep, got it. So then basically, if somebody is funding it for $100 with an on-chain transaction, that will cost about 50 cents, roughly. Um, okay, and then I guess for the swap out case, so as Phoenix is a fully lightning wallet, and if you want to pay a, an on-chain Bitcoin address, there is also a fee associated with that. And as I understand, that is basically associated for the minor fee uh, for that swap out correct yes i mean obviously yes uh, the network minus fee is going to uh, i mean what you pay is the minor fee what i was uh, uh, i was uh, 
about to say is that it depends on the actual fee rate the, uh, of, uh, at, the, at the time when you make the swap, but also it depends on the state of our uh, Bitcoin wallet. Uh, if we have a lot of uh, small UT, UTXOs, which can be the case because we manage a, a, a decent number of channels, then uh, it might cost uh, significant, uh, significantly, not because the fee rate is uh, currently high, but because that's what our wallet uh, is looking uh, is, is uh, that's the, set of, that's the state of our UTXOs at, at the time of the swap. Yeah, got it. So, uh, so to summarize, then it's basically the miner fee and also the you know uh, Async's wallet because depending on the number of UTXOs available, that you know it might be more or less easy to do that uh, on-chain transaction. We have no interest at all in um, taking a fee at that time for us. Uh, it obviously is a it's a it's a good thing for us to do that because it allows us to consolidate our UTXOs, but we're not taking a direct fee. Uh, and um, one thing that we we're gonna do uh, for the swap out, so lightning to Bitcoin, it's to uh, to allow the user to choose the priority, uh, which he, he can't currently, um, which will allow finer grain control on the, on the fees. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, another point I was really interested to talk about is MPP. Now, I had a chance to, again, I was testing and playing around with the wallet, obviously, in preparation. And I went into my Phoenix wallet, and then I went to the settings, and I ch- looked at my channel list. And then I saw I had two channels. And then what I wanted to do was test out MPP by making a payment to my to one of my own nodes, but just deliberately over the size of that channel, just to see how it worked. And I found it works just like that. It was really cool. And uh, when, when I made the payment, it actually showed, oh, this was an atomic multipath payment. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. And uh, I think as far as I can understand, this is one of the first uh, Lightning wallets that really supports that all the way through. Yes. I mean, we didn't uh, particularly market that because what is putting for us, it's, it's one part of... Uh, Earlier in the discussion, I said that there was a lot of engineering in the background to make Phoenix really seamless. AMP is, is uh, part of that engineering. Uh, it's one of the building blocks. When you when you have it, it seems seamless and it disappears completely from your mind. It just works. But when you when you don't have it, it's uh, it's really uh, it's basically impossible to to know how you can spend your your funds. So. Um, there is not much to say about it. It's just that even if in the background you may have, depending on how you have used your wallet, depending on how you have fun in it, uh, you may have one or 10 channels. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, you can spend it uh, like if it was one big channel. And the important part, the, the, the catch-22 is that it's not enough to have AMP. You also have to have what we call the zero reserve feature. So zero, the, the zero reserve, it's, it's not a, it's, it sounds a technical thing, but it, it has a big impact on, uh, on the usability of the wallet. So the, the goal of the reserve in Lightning channels is to make sure that both parties at all time have something at stake. Otherwise, if, if you don't have something at stake, then you can try to cheat because you have nothing to lose. That's why there is a reserve. The problem is that if you combine a, a reserve with AMP, then you don't have it, it's not linear anymore. It doesn't. It's not the same thing if you have two channels that both need to maintain a reserve. 
even if you have AMP, it's not the same thing uh, compared to having one channel. Because if you have two channels, then you go, you're going to have two times a reserve, and you can't. You you it, it's not. Uh, it, it you you won't be able to spend from zero to the sum of both of your channels seamlessly. So what we have done is we have created uh, a special type of channel where Phoenix users have the right to have a zero reserve. So their balance in the channel can go all the way to zero, which means that in that particular case, our node uh, trusts a bit more Phoenix users than the opposite because our node still has to maintain a, a standard reserve so we always have something at stake, whereas Phoenix users don't always have something at stake. And we, we did that because we, we know that if people try to cheat, we are going to be able to, uh, to notice that on the blockchain and we are still going to be able to get our funds back. Gotcha. Yeah, so I guess uh, the way to understand that for listeners is basically, in this case, async is kind of taking on that risk on behalf of the customer in some ways to make it easy for the user. Uh, but it means async has to now watch the blockchain to make sure there are no cheating well, attempts, right? It, it, no, it's not, it's not that we're taking the risk on the behalf of the customer. It's just that, so in the in the, a lightning channel, it's like a Mexican standoff. Uh, it's everybody is uh, looking at uh, everybody else and uh, and if you uh, don't behave correctly then uh, you're, you're gonna get punished so when you have two parties in a channel both are watching the blockchain to make sure that the other party isn't cheating what we do uh, by allowing one uh, one party's balance to go all the way to zero is that now they can try to cheat without any uh, consequence because the way the, the, the punishment uh, mechanism works in Lightning is that the the honest node uh, will be able to sweep the funds of the dishonest node. But if the dishonest node doesn't have any money, it doesn't change anything. So Ibedadar tries to cheat. So what what we did is that since Phoenix users don't have a, a, a reserve, there may be uh, uh, cases where they could try to publish a revoked transaction. That's that's it. so. It's not that uh, we are taking the risk on their behalf. It's just we are taking a risk deliberately to uh, ensure that the the UX is good for Phoenix users. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, I, I could have worded that a bit more precisely. Okay. Uh, I'm also keen to talk about the other big, big trade-off, which we obviously have to talk about, which is around privacy and trampoline routing. So let's talk a little bit about this. So I guess. Let's start with the first observation, which is that currently, async node knows the public key of the person you are trying to pay, and then the amount. And uh, can you tell us a little bit around, you know, how you're thinking about that from a privacy point of view, and then potentially uh, lead into what trampoline routing is? Okay, so, so, so there is uh, a difference between. So we have done a, a several uh, trade-offs. There is difference between the trade-offs that I mentioned with regard to swaps, which to us just makes sense. And it's unless uh, there is some new ideas, those trade-offs are going to stay uh, in the foreseeable future. But, uh, like, uh, yes, if you do a swap, you're going to have to trust us. 
because they, we don't have a better way to do it. There's a difference between that and our current trampoline implementation, which is just, which limitations are just because it's not a final version. Just want to start with that because to us, it makes a big difference between the persistent traders and those which we believe uh, are temporary. So what happens is that when you make uh, a payment on Lightning, uh, on a Phoenix, uh, on Lightning from a Phoenix, you, you delegate the, the computation of the route to a trampoline node. In the current implementation of Phoenix, this trampoline node is our node, is the async node. So basically what, what you do is you send an HTLC and in the next hop, I mean, uh, I'm summarizing, but uh, basically it's how that works. In the next hop, it's not a direct neighbor of uh, our node. It's some, it's some remote node. It's actually the destination. So this implies that we know what payments, uh, what amount you're paying, and we know the destination of the node. And we also know uh, your ID, obviously, because you're talking uh, to, to, to us. So from, from that perspective, Phoenix in its current version, it offers no, it's exactly the same. Uh, in, we have exactly the same information as if we were a hosted uh, Lightning Wire provider. So that's the state of uh, Phoenix right now. It's If we release it that way, it's because we know that it's not going to be uh, the case uh, in the future. So how does uh, trampoline works in the, in the in a fully deployed setup, you have, instead of having only one trampoline node, you have a multitude of trampoline nodes in the network. And Phoenix knows uh, a number, uh, a decent number of trampoline nodes. It doesn't have to know all of them, but it needs to know, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them, something like that. As opposed to knowing the full routing table if uh, Phoenix wanted to compute the route uh, itself. So then Phoenix has, let's say, 100 trampoline nodes. He can randomly pick uh, uh, trampoline nodes within that set and do a route that goes through all those trampoline nodes and that the last uh, hop in the route will be the destination, which means that from the point of view of a trampoline node, you have the same information as from the point of view of a regular lightning node today, when you only know what's before and what's after, and you don't know where you are in the route. The goal is to have exactly the exact exactly that. If you will, it's like instead of doing source routing um, between adjacent nodes, which is the case with regular routing on lightning currently, we are doing source routing between trampoline nodes. And each trampoline node figures out by itself the route to the next trampoline hub. So um, in, in theory, the privacy that you can have with this scheme, I mean, our uh, what we believe is that it's at least equal to what we have currently. Because if without trampoline, the routing table will keep increasing. It keeps increasing uh, every time there is a new public channel and every time there is a new node with public channels. And mobile devices, they have to sync this routing table. At some point, they're not going to be able to sync the whole routing table, right? So they have they will have to prune it. But 
they will have to print it in a way that that makes that reasonably makes sure that they can reach uh, anyone in the network. And there is a good chance that this this heuristics will uh, will um, uh, result in a lot of uh, mobile devices having the same pruned view of the graph. You know, is does, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there could be potentially a privacy implication of exactly. that, right? That well, they don't, you know, um, if there's only say, basically, it limits the potential ways that you could have routed it through and yes. part of lightning uh, you know one of the ideas that even from a recent interview with rusty was saying is this idea of potentially trying to make the routing a little bit more like a random walk such that it is more private and you can't infer from the length uh wh- roughly where that person uh was routing the payment from exactly so my, my my point is that with the current routing scheme we could argue that uh, from the uh, from the point of view of uh, the random walk uh, uh, target, we are going to hit a wall with the current way of doing uh, routing. With trampoline, suppose there are a lot of trampoline nodes on the network, then you can select a subset, a random subset of, of this uh, of, of those uh, trampoline nodes. You don't have to have a complicated heuristics to be able to make sure that you you will still be able to reach whatever. Uh, pay whoever uh, pay you want to to reach to just take a random subset of uh, trampoline nodes, which allows you then which allows your your payment routes to look much more like a random walk. Uh, so because you don't have to have a, a very um, uh, complex heuristics that guarantees that yes you are pruning a view of the network but it's still you're still be able to uh, to find uh, the destination that you want to find yeah so uh, bottom line is that it's it's uh, it's absolutely true that the current implementation of uh, trampering the way we have done it in the phoenix it does leak payment information to uh, our node that's true but uh, it's not a property of trampering it's just a property of the way we have implemented it currently Yep. And uh, I guess uh, I was looking through some of the lightning spec discussion and I noticed uh, T-Bust from your team uh, was discussing and trying to propose this idea. And there was a little bit of feedback from uh, some others like Matt Corello and yeah. Z-Man, right? And I think Matt Corello's, sorry, Matt Corello's concern was something like, you know, it might, uh, and I think it was what you were basically saying is that it might impact the privacy. Uh, and I think his concern was like, we don't want to help the client's reduce their route map size because that might be taking a step backwards in lightning from a privacy perspective. Yes. So I guess that's kind of a, a bit of a debate that has to get uh, resolved before it, trampoline yes, routing comes to lightning network, right? It, it is a debate. And the, uh, the argument that I just made are, uh, are basically the same that uh, Bastien did on the, on the, uh, on the, on the pull request. And uh, I mean, it's definitely a sensitive topic. And I think it's great that, you are able to see that uh, it's not like if any change uh, that happens on Lightning is just a walk in the park for uh, for everyone. We we still have to convince others. We are pretty sure that uh, it's a good uh, way to uh, to uh, to um, improve routing on Lightning. But definitely, uh, other people may think differently, and we will have to convince them. So. If from the point of view of a user, a simple Lightning user, I find that very reassuring. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, that, uh, yeah, we can see what happens with that. And um, uh, I, I think um, th- they're probably the key points that I was keen to... Oh, one other point around um, Phoenix and the seed. So uh, with the seed, is it basically just a BIP39 seed on the BIP84, like the BC, you know, the BESH32? Uh, yes, yes. That's, yeah. If, uh, so in if, terms of recovery? Uh, so... What happens is that when you have a lightning channel, what, what what it means to have a lightning channel, it's basically to to hold a commitment transaction that uh, that uh, uh, represent, represents the current state of the of the uh, the channel. This commitment transaction is is to be published on chain if something wrong happens. And what you what your seed protect protects is the uh, the the, the address that this commitment transaction pays to. So just having the seed, if the commitment transaction is published, just having the seed is enough to recover your funds. And what, what we have been careful to, to do is to follow the same um, uh, path as uh, standard Bitcoin wallets. Uh, so you can use, we actually recommend using Electrum when you want to uh, uh, to recover your funds. If something, uh, if something happens, and the the, the the channel gets forced closed. It shouldn't happen uh, with uh, Phoenix, or very very rarely, much rea- much uh, more rarely than uh, for Eclair Mobile, for example. Uh, but it, it can happen. It can definitely happen. We had one user. Uh, uh, we had a bug that we that's uh, fixed in the last version of Phoenix that caused in in the very corner case, but that caused uh, channel to be forced closed. Then the user. Just had to install Electrum, enter the seed, and boom, the funds were there. He was able to just swap them in to his new Phoenix wallet. So uh, yeah, just we're following the uh, the BIP thirty nine, BIP eighty four, and it's based to a regular Segwit address. Excellent. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about Eclair. So as I understand, Eclair, sorry, Eclair Mobile, I should say, which was the first, uh, your first uh, Lightning wallet. And my understanding is you're still maintaining Eclair Mobile as well. Uh, and uh, that that is seen more like a power user or developer or enthusiast wallet, correct? Yes. Uh, Eclair Mobile gives you the raw experience of Lightning. It's like it, it's a... Uh, it's not hiding anything. It's not trying to hide complexity. It's it just shows things as they are on a more lower level. So you have to ba- to to manage uh, an on-chain and off-chain balance. You have to create channels yourself. Uh, you can open channel to anyone you want. Currently, it doesn't support AMP, but it's gonna support uh, AMP uh, soon. So it's it's uh, it's a great uh, way to to uh, to use uh, lightning if you absolutely want to know what's happening under the hood if you don't like the fact that you uh, you're connected to uh, our node so with your mobile you can you're completely uh, off the hook you can connect to whoever you want. you can connect to your own node and i think uh, rusty likes to connect uh, eclair mobile to his c lightning nodes just to test interoperability with uh, between our implementations I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's a, it's a different set of trade-offs, uh, so it makes sense for us to uh, to keep uh, uh, maintaining it. Excellent. Um, Looks, so I'd love to talk a little bit more about Lightning Network just more broadly. Uh, do you have any views around um, 
how big this thing can get, how fast can transactions be, right? Because you see all sorts of different numbers, right? Like if you look at the Lightning Network paper, it says like millions of transactions per second. And I think once you consider actual hardware limitations and things, it might be like per node, it might be something closer to like 100 transactions per second. And then let's say you've got however many routing nodes that you see being out there. What's your sort of view on how that evolves? Do you see it being like, okay, there'll be a solid, you know, 5,000 routing nodes out there? Yeah, on the performance side, to me, there is no limitation because it's a completely, it's a horizontal scaling uh, issue. There is, even if you have hardware performance uh, limitation, you can still, uh, you can uh, distribute one lightning node. There is no reason why you wouldn't do it. So just because our node is identified by a single uh, node ID doesn't mean that it has to be one single computer. It can, it can be... Uh, it, it, it can be used. So, to me, there is on the on the throughput uh, from the throughput point of view, there is no limitation. I don't see why there would be a limitation on the total number of nodes. I think the this is related to uh, the tr- the discussion that we had about uh, trampoline. The limitation is going to be for end uh, like uh, leaves in the network for uh, endpoints to uh, find routes in this network. And uh, the first uh, nice things uh, were private channels, uh, and we may need to go uh, to go uh, further than that. We believe that the uh, is, is the appropriate way to to uh, to work on that, but there may be uh, other ways. That's I I believe that's going to be the main limitations uh, limitation for uh, for technical limitation. I mean for for the number of nodes. Yeah, um, and uh, I had one other question as well, which was just around centralization on the lightning network and permissioning right so i I was curious to get your view on if you think lightning because if you listen to a skeptic right now again i'm 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 bullish on lightning right but if you listen to a skeptic they might say something like oh look it's going to end up being really permissioned and there's just going to be a bunch of big nodes that become hubs and you have to go through them and that will impinge on the permissionless you know censorship resistant nature of lightning What's your take on that? Well, two, two things. Uh, first thing, there are going to be large nodes. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's, it's obvious uh, that if you have like exchanges, we, we have seen, uh, recently we have seen uh, Bitstamp and uh, Bitfinex uh, uh, run a node. Uh, if Lightning is to succeed, obviously uh, large companies uh, will have large hubs, large nodes. Uh, it's uh, obvious. I think what's uh, important is will it still be uh, possible, feasible uh, to run a node if you're not, uh, if, you, if, if you're not, if you run a small node. That's, I think, that's the proper way to, to, to look at the issue. Uh, not to try to limit the size of the larger nodes, but to still make sure that it makes sense and you have the guarantees that you want to have uh, if you want to bypass those nodes completely. It's, it's really important to be able to bypass those nodes. Uh, so that's that's why uh, I don't I don't see an immediate issue is that uh, like if you compare to mining, if you compare to mining, you can't make I don't know ten thousand or hundred thousand dollars investment and uh, become a miner. You can't do it. There is the barriers, the barriers to entry are too high. But 
it's not the same with Lightning. You can start a, you can run a Lightning node uh, even if you have uh, not uh, uh, millions of dollars, uh, and you still be able. Like if you want to pay um, uh, someone that some large hub doesn't don't want you to pay, you can still bypass that uh, that uh, large hub. So I think that's essential uh, re with regard to. Uh, uh, to the basic properties of Bitcoin that we absolutely want to preserve uh, with uh, Lightning. But that's actually only a part of a more general point of if Lightning is to succeed, will it be centralized? Will it be permissioned? I think it can't succeed if it's permissioned because it's it's really all or nothing. I mean, from my point of view, when you design a, a protocol like, like Lightning, which is complicated, it's complex, it's costly to develop and to... Uh, uh, I mean, it's basically what we are doing is working around the the, the hard limitation that uh, the that we have uh, when we work on uh, on Bitcoin. We are, it's a very limited space. What what can we do to take uh, to make the best of it? So it has a cost, and we have to have properties that justify that that uh, this that we pay that, that that cost. So if we don't have those properties. And if it's more expensive than a centralized payment system like uh, uh, I don't know uh, PayPal, then it doesn't it just doesn't make sense, and so it's not going to succeed. So uh, to me, is either Lightning uh, keeps uh, the the properties that Bitcoin offers, uh, and then maybe it can succeed. There are other uh, um, potential ways it can fail. Maybe it, it, maybe someone find find a flaw, or maybe I don't know. Uh, but it's a, it's a requirement. Or it can it can't uh, 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 protect those uh, properties. In, in that case, it's not going to be competitive anyway compared to centralized services. So it has no way of uh, of having any success. Yeah, and also, do you have a view? Uh, yeah, very interesting thoughts. And uh, do you have a view on things like another angle of centralization being perhaps the need for uh, liquidity management? So, for example, if somebody needs to continually you know, replenish a channel, then are they now more dependent on there being enough submarine swap or just trusted swap providers to allow them to, you know, basically manage their channel balance? Or do you see it like maybe some of the technical innovations coming and, you know, uh, MPP and some of these other things might, you know, lessen the need for that kind of thing? Okay, so in my opinion, MPP helps, given a snapshot of the network, MPP helps when you want to maximize your chances of making a given payment. But that's pretty much it. I don't think MPP will have an impact on the more, like the, the bigger picture of what's going on with liquidity. Yeah. Um, I'm not really uh, convinced that things like Channel rebalancing are going to uh, uh, help a lot because, I mean, it depends how you how you uh, what's the scope of it. If by rebalancing you mean going to the chain, then of course it can it it will help because it means you getting out of the Lightning network and going back to the Lightning network. So you can basically that's what that's what it does when you when you go uh, on chain. So then if there are some um, some uh, uh, 
payments that always go uh, in one direction, then you can uh, cut that off uh, and then uh, pull ba put back, uh, reallocate liquidity. What I think is that we don't know yet. There are a lot of unknowns. I mean, there are a lot of unknowns in Bitcoin in general and in Lightning Network in particular. Uh, we don't know what the overall flow of payments will look like. And this will have a big impact on the liquidity needs. For example, uh, if uh, you have like a, a huge, uh, Amazon, Amazon is uh, accepting uh, Lightning. Is it, is it, is it going to be a big problem regarding to liquidity? I don't think so. Because if uh, Amazon runs a node, they are gonna, they're going to mostly receive funds, mostly which means that they won't have to allocate funds themselves. It's other people in the network that, that, that see that there is an opportunity to, to route payment to Amazon, which will provide that liquidity. So what Amazon will do is just wait for their channels to, to be full and then close them and get back that, uh, the funds on chain and do whatever they want to. Maybe they're going to refund some clients sometimes. So maybe they're going to, but mostly they're going to receive. So it's not a big problem. And I believe that most of the time, end users will end up paying. Uh, yeah, obviously, you, you may want to uh, receive funds. And uh, uh, that's one of the, of the, of the tasks, uh, of the harder tasks we had uh, on, uh, on Phoenix. But I think over, uh, uh, the, the overall, you're going to get paid. You're going to have your salary or something uh, every now and then. And Every day you make payments, and this doesn't. This is uh, okay uh, because you're going to provide liquidity yourself to the network, and uh, it turns out pretty well. For routing nodes, nodes that don't mostly send money and don't mostly receive money, that's more or less equally. Then yes, they have. They will have to uh, to have enough liquidity. Uh, they will have to have enough liquidity on both sides and. They can't decide who they allocate their funds to, but they can't decide who, they can't tell people to open channels to them, or they have to have some, there has to be some good reason for that. So uh, routing nodes will be limited. They, they will have to have a decent amount of capital on their node, and they will have to have the ability to secure it, which we all know is not an easy task if you ask the exchanges, uh, and the exchanges are offline, routing nodes are online. So, that, by the way, will be also uh, probably a limiting factor to uh, the uh, the size of uh, routing nodes. So I don't. To me, it's not this liquidity uh, thing. It's not the most uh, pressing issue, provided that the, the to me the the, the most uh, the most difficult part to solve was the uh, inbound liquidity uh, thing for end users which we worked around that by introducing a little trust with the uh, on-the-fly channels that we uh, went over before. Uh, but um, apart from that, I don't see it as a very limiting uh, factor currently. I, I, I mean, at least it's, uh, it's way uh, after the, uh, the routing uh, part, in my opinion. Got it. Yeah, no, that's a really good, uh, uh, really good uh, reflections there. I suppose uh, just to finish it off, then, what are you more, what are you most excited about for twenty twenty with Bitcoin and Lightning? Just generally, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to, or that you're hoping we get in twenty twenty? Well, 
as a as someone who who's most interested in uh, in building software as opposed to trading i'm not following the the price of bitcoin a lot but obviously uh, i'm looking forward to the halving just to see what happens um it's i, I think it's i mean everybody says that uh, and uh, I think it's really true. It's it was really nice to be able to have a, a period of time when when uh, things were more quiet, so that we could uh, build what we have to 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 build uh, more peacefully. Uh, so the, this having thing kind of contradicts that. I, I hope we still be. I, I mean, I don't really want to see the craziness of uh, 2017. And uh, but it's exciting too because. We have lightning now. We don't. We didn't have it in 2017. And uh, what's pretty interesting is that if this halving uh, creates a new a euphoria, I mean, a new inflow of users, we will be ready. Uh, will the lightning network be ready? Um, I mean, Phoenix can be one answer to that. Uh, is the network as a whole uh, reliable enough to to handle more users? I think that's an open question. I think it's, we are very early. Uh, so it's going to be, uh, if that happens, it's going to be a big test. So that's from the Bitcoin, uh, I mean, Bitcoin and Lightning point of view. And also um, on, on the purely Lightning part, um, we had this uh, this uh, meeting in uh, Australia, actually, in Adelaide, uh, in the end of 2018, in which we discussed the, the next uh features, main features of Lightning. We are, AMP was one of those features, but we are only, we have, we are not done yet. So we are still in the process of implementing all of those. And uh, there, there is uh, dual funding, uh, also splicing, splice out. There are a lot of things which are very exciting. They take a long time to develop. It's, it, I, I feel it's like, it must feel uh, even longer for users because they don't even know when, <laughs> when that's gonna happen. We mostly don't. We are not sure uh, either. But uh, um, yeah, there are a lot of things that are in the pipe. I think the the the, the transition from Lightning, the UX in 2018 and the Lightning UX in 2019 and 20 shows that there are a lot of things that we can do uh, on the protocol side to 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 actually improve uh, uh, user experience uh, on the, on the, uh, for end users. And it's not gonna stop. So for uh, people who, who were um, afraid that it would, uh, it would never be possible to have the same, uh, I mean, a, a decent UX on Lightning, a decent, uh, an easy way to, to, uh, to, uh, to receive our samples on Lightning, I think, the recent developments show that uh, there are a lot of uh, improvements that we can do, and they show also that there are, there are a lot of future, even uh, further improvement that we can uh, we can make. So it's a lot of uh, lot of work, but a lot of uh, interesting perspectives for for it. Yeah, and look, I've got to say, um, I think you guys have done a great job with Phoenix in making a non-custodial experience that's really smooth, really easy. I've I've found it really uh really impressive to put just play around with the app and I, I mean I I've played around with Lightning apps and this one was really impressive so I could definitely see myself being able to help uh if if I wanted to onboard a newcomer into Lightning this is probably what I would go with right so 
look, I guess as we close it out, uh, just make sure you let the listeners know where can they uh, find you know you online, where can they find async, and uh, where can they download Phoenix. Oh, and also uh, Phoenix for the iPhone as well. Yeah, well, uh, in 2020, one of the we are working on it. Uh, for now, we have only um, released uh, Android. Uh, Apps, Eclair Mobile was Android, Phoenix currently is Android, but we are working on the on the iOS version, so it's going to be a big a big next step um, for Phoenix in 2020. <clears throat> so um, yeah, our website is async.co. Uh, there is a dedicated uh, landing page for Phoenix, which is phoenix.async.co. Uh, all our software, our um, server node, Eclair Mobile, Phoenix. Strike, all of those, they run on our Eclair stack, which is an implementation of a full implementation of Lightning written in Scala, uh, our GitHub, it's, it's, it's on GitHub. Um, all our uh, mobile applications are, are open source, they, it's uh, uh, Eclair Mobile and Phoenix on GitHub. And you're welcome to, uh, to contribute. For developers, uh, we, we prefer using Gitter. Uh, so it's on our, our Eclair GitHub. There is a link to our GitHub page. Uh, and uh, for support, uh, in Telegram uh, seems to work a bit better. So we also have a dedicated Twitter account for Phoenix users that you can use to have support. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. A lot of ways to get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, I'll include the links in the show notes. And uh, thank you again for joining me, Pierre. It's been a great fun chatting with you. Great to, uh, to talk with you, uh, Stefan. So I hope you found that useful. And obviously, if you're a lightning hardcore purist, you'll run your own stack with your own LND and Zap or Zeus, etc. However, I think for a newbie or a newcomer to Bitcoin and Lightning, this is a great wallet to set them up with. And if you need to do a demonstration at a Bitcoin meetup or with your family and friends, this is a great one to try because it's non-custodial and it's extremely quick to set up. There's a real wow factor when you demonstrate this for people and then get them to do a payment as well. So give that a try. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out my website at stefanlevera.com. Also, just a quick note for Patreon supporters. I'm going to start now putting up the ad-free version of the show and early for those people as well. So thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels.